Section two of Gray's Anatomy, Part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part two, by Henry Gray. Development and classification of joints. Movement admitted in joints. 2. Development of the joints. The mesoderm from which the different parts of the skeleton are formed shows at first no differentiation into masses corresponding with the individual bones. Thus continuous cores of mesoderm from the axis of the limb buds and a continuous column of mesoderm the future vertebral column. The first indications of the bones and joints are circumscribed condensations of the mesoderm. These condensed parts become chondrified and finally ossified to form the bones of the skeleton. The intervening non-condensed portions consist at first of undifferentiated mesoderm, which may develop in one of three directions. It may be converted into fibrous tissue, as in the case of the skull bones, a synarthroidal joint being the result, or it may become partly cartilaginous in which case an amphiarthroidial joint is formed. Again, it may become looser in texture and a cavity ultimately appears in its midst. The cells lining the sides of this cavity form a synovial membrane and thus a diarthroidial joint is developed. The tissue surrounding the original mesodermal core forms fibrous sheaths for the developing bones, i.e. periosteum and perichondrium which are continued between the ends of the bones over the synovial membrane as the capsules of the joints. These capsules are not of uniform thickness, so that in them may be recognized especially strengthened bands which are described as ligaments. This, however, is not the only method of formation of ligaments. In some cases, by modification of, or derivations from, the tendons surrounding the joint, additional ligamentous bands are provided to further strengthen the articulations. In several of the movable joints, the mesoderm which originally existed between the ends of the bones does not become completely absorbed. A portion of it persists and forms an articular disc. These discs may be intimately associated in their development with the muscles surrounding the joint, e.g. the menisci of the knee joint, or with cartilaginous elements, representatives of skeletal structures which are vestigial in human anatomy, e.g. the articular disc of the sternoclavicular joint. 3. Classification of joints. The articulations are divided into three classes. Synarthroses, or immovable, amphiarthroses, or slightly movable, and diarthroses, or freely movable joints. Synarthroses, immovable articulations. Synarthroses include all these articulations in which the surfaces of the bones are in almost direct contact fastened together by intervening connective tissue or hyaline cartilage, and in which there is no appreciable motion, as in the joints between the bones of the skull, excepting those of the mandible. There are four varieties of synarthrosis, sutura, chindolasis, gomphosis, and synchondrosis. Sutura Sutura is that form of articulation where the contiguous margins of the bones are united by a thin layer of fibrous tissue. It is met with only in the skull. When the margins of the bones are connected by a series of processes and indentations interlocked together, 
the articulation is termed a true suture, sutura vera, and of this there are three varieties, sutura dentata, serrata, and limbosa. The margins of the bones are not in direct contact, being separated by a thin layer of fibrous tissue, continuous externally with the pericranium, internally with the dura mater. The sutura dentata is so called from the tooth-like form of the projecting processes, as in the suture between the parietal bones. In the sutura serrata, the edges of the bones are serrated like the teeth of a fine saw, as between the two portions of the frontal bone. In the sutura limbosa, there is besides the interlocking a certain degree of beveling of the articular surfaces, so that the bones overlap one another, as in the suture between the parietal and frontal bones. When the articulation is formed by roughened surfaces placed in apposition with one another, it is termed a false suture, sutura nosa, of which there are two kinds. The sutura squamosa, formed by the overlapping of contiguous bones by broad beveled margins, as in the squamosal suture between the temporal and parietal, and the sutura harmonia, where there is simple apposition of contiguous rough surfaces, as in the articulation between the maxillae, or between the horizontal parts of the palatine bones. Schindelasis. Schindelasis is that form of articulation in which a thin plate of bone is received into a cleft or fissure formed by the separation of two laminae in another bone, as in the articulation of the rostrum of the sphenoid and perpendicular plate of the ethmoid with the vomer, or in the reception of the latter in the fissure between the maxillae and between the palatine bones. Gomphosis. Gomphosis is articulation by the insertion of a conical process into a socket. This is not illustrated by any articulation between bones, properly so called, but is seen in the articulations of the roots of the teeth with the alveoli of the mandible and maxillae. Synchondrosis. Where the connecting medium is cartilage, the joint is termed a synchondrosis. This is a temporary form of joint, for the cartilage is converted into bone before adult life. Such joints are found between the epiphyses and bodies of long bones, between the occipital and the sphenoid at, and for some years after, birth, and between the petrous portion of the temporal and the jugular process of the occipital. Amphiarthrosis, slightly movable articulations. In these articulations, the contiguous bony surfaces are either connected by broad flattened discs of fibrocartilage of a more or less complex structure, as in the articulations between the bodies of the vertebrae, or are united by an interosseous ligament, as in the inferior tibiofibular articulation. The first form is termed a symphysis, the second a syndesmosis. Diarthrosis, freely movable articulations. This class includes the greater number of the joints in the body. In a diarthrodial joint, the contiguous bony surfaces are covered with articular cartilage, and connected by ligaments lined by synovial membrane. The joint may be divided, completely or incompletely, by an articular disc or meniscus, the periphery of which is continuous with the fibrous capsule while its free surfaces are covered by synovial membrane. The varieties of joints in this class have been determined by the kind of motion permitted in each. There are two varieties in which the movement is uniaxial, that is to say, all movements take place around one axis. In one form, the ginglimus, the axis is, practically speaking, transverse. In the other, the trochoid or pivot joint, it is longitudinal. There are two varieties where the movement is biaxial, 
or around two horizontal axes at right angles to each other, or at any intervening axis between the two. These are the condyloid and the saddle joint. There is one form where the movement is polyaxial, the enarthrosis or ball and socket joint, and finally there are the arthrodia or gliding joints. Ginglimus or hinge joint. In this form the articular surfaces are moulded to each other in such a manner as to permit motion only in one plane, forward and backward, the extent of motion at the same time being considerable. The direction which the distal bone takes in this motion is seldom in the same plane as that of the axis of the proximal bone. There is usually a certain amount of deviation from the straight line during flexion. The articular surfaces are connected together by strong collateral ligaments, which form their chief bond of union. The best examples of ginglimus are the interphalangeal joints and the joint between the humerus and ulna. The knee and ankle joints are less typical, as they allow a slight degree of rotation or of side-to-side -side movement in certain positions of the limb. Trochoid or pivot joint. Articulatio trochoidea, rotary joint. Where the movement is limited to rotation, the joint is formed by a pivot-like process turning within a ring, or a ring on a pivot, the ring being formed partly of bone, partly of ligament. In the proximal radio-ulna articulation, the ring is formed by the radial notch of the ulna and the annular ligament. Here, the head of the radius rotates within the ring. In the articulation of the odontoid process of the axis with the atlas, the ring is formed in front by the anterior arch, and behind by the transverse ligament of the atlas. Here, the ring rotates around the odontoid process. Condyloid articulation Articulatio ellipsoidea In this form of joint, an ovoid articular surface or condyle is received into an elliptical cavity in such a manner as to permit of flexion, extension, adduction, abduction, and circumduction, but no axial rotation. The wrist joint is an example of this form of articulation. Articulation by reciprocal reception, articulatio cellaris, saddle joint. In this variety, the opposing surfaces are reciprocally concavo-convex. The movements are the same as in the preceding form, that is to say, flexion, extension, adduction, abduction, and circumduction are allowed, but no axial rotation. The best example of this form is the carpometacarpal joint of the thumb. Enarthrosis, ball and socket joints. Enarthrosis is a joint in which the distal bone is capable of motion around an indefinite number of axes, which have one common centre. It is formed by the reception of a globular head into a cup-like cavity, hence the name ball and socket. Examples of this form of articulation are found in the hip and shoulder. Arthrodia, gliding joints, is a joint which admits of only gliding movement. It is formed by the apposition of plane surfaces, or one slightly concave, the other slightly convex. The amount of motion between them being limited by the ligaments or osseous processes surrounding the articulation. It is the form present in the joints between the articular processes of the vertebrae, the carpal joints, except that of the capitate with the navicular and lunate, and the tarsal joints, with the exception of that between the talus and the navicular. End of section 2